0: This is a message series um, called, I Have What? I Have Decided. And in this message series, I'm asking you to make decisions. Now, it's easy to talk about things, and sometimes it's important to discuss some things. But every once in a while, it's just important to what? Decide. I mean, you've got to move on, right? And so week one, we ask you to make some decisions about baptism. And we looked at the life of Jesus being baptized And really cool, 36 of you so far have signed up to be baptized on June the 23rd. That is awesome. So you can still make that decision. You go to a kiosk, you sign up. But 36 of you are going to get dunked in the Gulf of Mexico on June the 23rd. And if it's really windy, Jonathan will be doing all the baptisms. If it's a nice day, I'll be doing them. And it'll be a a great day. Last week... I ask you to pre-decide how you would handle temptation. And we looked in Matthew chapter four and we talked about the first 11 verses on the temptations of Christ and how Christ handled temptation. And I ask you to pre-decide because it's so important for you to make a decision before you're at a party. It's so important to make a decision before you go on a date. It's so important to make a decision before there's alcohol involved. It's so important to make a decision as to how you're going to be a worker. So last week, so you can podcast both week one, week two, I asked you to look at those different um, things, how you, how you would respond in your life. Today is the biggest one of all. Today is the biggest one. Because today, I'm not just asking you to make a decision. Today, I'm going to ask you to, be, to change who you are. Today, I'm going to ask you at the end of the message to become somebody that maybe you aren't. And so as we, as we walk into that, we're going, to, we're going to drill down a whole lifestyle change. And what we're going to talk about today is worry. We're going to talk about fear, worry, and anxiety. So to get started, we're going to take a worry test. Okay, so how many of you in the room on a scale from one to 100, one meaning I don't even worry if the house is on fire, how many of you would be like in that low, low, you're not a worrier, so maybe from one to 33, you're just not a very big worrier. How many in the room are not very big worriers? Okay, you're liars, but you're not a worrier. That's great. That is wonderful. Okay, how many of you in the room are like moderate worriers? If the house is on fire, you're concerned. How many in the room? All right, all right, how many of you in the room are like on steroids when it comes to worry? You're, you're like a class A worrier. When, when, they, when worry comes along, your picture is next door to that, right? In fact, you can put on a clinic. If, if there's nothing to worry about, <clears throat> you can create something to worry about, right? You can come up with it. All right. So at the end of the message today, we're going to talk about how you can stop worrying. Amen. Would you like to not worry? Yes. Would you like to not be stressed out? Would you not like not to wake up with your heart beating out of your chest every morning? Today, Jesus will give us a key to that that is most revelatory and can change you for the rest of your life. Does that sound exciting? All right, now, let me back into this. So give me about 20 minutes to get there. Can you do that? Or 18, whatever, but give me a few minutes to get there. All right, here's where I want to start this morning. I bet... You came to Christ something like I did. I bet you came to Christ, it was explained to you that you're going to die. And when you die, you're going to go to one of two places. And depending on what you did with Jesus was the determining factor as to whether you went this way or whether you went south, right? I was 14 years old. The preacher explained to me that I was going to die. I was going to spend eternity somewhere. And based on what I did with Jesus, it was going to determine my future. That was not a hard decision to make. Accept Jesus, go to heaven. Don't accept Jesus, go to hell. That was a no-brainer for me. And then I began to hear other messages like this. Follow Christ. He'll make you a better person. Follow Jesus. He'll make you a better man. Follow Jesus. He'll make you a better husband. Denita likes that one. Follow Jesus. He'll make you a better better father. And all those things are true. All those things are absolutely true, except you can't find those in the New Testament. Jesus doesn't say over and over again, I want you to go to heaven. Please, 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 please come and follow me. Please come and follow me. I'll make you a better man. Please come and follow me. I'll make you a better husband. Please come and follow me. I'll make you a better dad. Now, all those are true. You just don't find that in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus calls you and I to come follow him for a whole different reason. And so I became a Christian as a consumer. And you probably became a Christian as a consumer. It was explained to you, if you follow Christ, then you will get all of this. And however it was explained to you from a youth group or a grandparent or, or a coach or parent or, or teacher, whoever, I bet you came to Christ as a consumer, not as a producer. Am I right? I bet you came to Christ as to it was explained to you, here's what you're going to get out of this. And so if you come to Christ, you will be a better person. It's true. You will have a better life. It's true. You follow Christ's principles, you'll make more money. That's true. You follow Christ, he will lead your life wisely. That is all absolutely true. The problem with that is, you continue to follow Christ as a consumer, your stress level and your worry level will stay the same all the days of your life. You will never reduce your stress, you will never reduce your fear, you will never reduce your anxiety if you continue to follow Christ as a consumer. Now, I don't know that that's was wrong. The preacher explained it to me and I pretty much got it. And I don't think that was wrong that I came to Christ as a consumer. I don't think it was wrong that I realized that Jesus could forgive me of all my sins. I don't think it was wrong that I figured out that Jesus could take away my shame and my guilt. I don't think that's wrong. I just don't think that's enough. And so if you and I continue to follow Christ as consumers, what's in this for me My stress level and my worry level will never be reduced and my faith quotient will never grow and get greater and greater. Now, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four narratives of Jesus, and you read these over and over and over again, you will see that Jesus is not really talking about, come follow me because I want you to go to heaven. And he does mention that. He doesn't really say, come follow me, I'll make you a better person. You, you, You really can't find that. In fact, Jesus is calling us to come follow him so that we can become somebody. And when we become somebody, that reduces our fear, that reduces our worry, that reduces our anxiety, and it changes everything about our lives. And so we're going to get there with a rather obscure passage of scripture, but it's in every familiar passage you've ever read. And now that I'm getting ready to explain this this morning, you will see this over and over and over again. And so the obscure passage is in the Gospel of Matthew. If you want to turn to Matthew, we're going to put these verses on the screen in just a second. But in Matthew chapter 10, there's this very obscure passage of Scripture that doesn't get talked about a whole lot. Now, there were always groups of people that followed Jesus. Jesus became enormously popular And there were three different groups of people that were always following Jesus. First of all, it would be the town people. And so whatever town Jesus was in, the town people would follow him. If he's in Bethany, the town people of Bethany. If he's in Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem. The first of all would be town people. Second of all, there would be groupies. And these groupies would just go from town to town to town. And the groupies were Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And those were like different groupies. Mary of Magdalene, they would follow Jesus everywhere he went. But also there was the 12, and the 12 disciples, or 12 apostles, and they went with Jesus everywhere he went. Now, now they loved it. The 12 became living legends, even during the time when Jesus was alive, because they were following the most famous rabbi of all time. This rabbi could heal a shriveled hand. This rabbi could help somebody who couldn't hear. This rabbi could take the the mute and, and let them speak. This rabbi could even raise the dead. And so Peter and James and John and Andrew and Thomas and Bartholomew, these guys became enormously popular because Jesus healed and walked and taught and did some incredible things. And so they got so much accolades. Guess what? They followed Jesus as consumers. Following Jesus made them better. Following Jesus made them popular. Following Jesus gave them a name, a purpose, gave them incredible recognition. And then look at this passage of scripture. Jesus is just going to kind of explain just to the 12, not to the groupies, not to the all town people, but just to the 12. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, he says this, by the way, guys, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. And he's just explained in the first 15 verses, take this amount of money. Don't take purses. Take, go by two by two. He just gives them all these instructions how to go out now and spread the good word. And then he says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes. I, I love this verse, by the way. I think it's a cool verse. Be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. I think as Christians, we ought to be that way. Shrewd as snakes, but innocent as doves. Look at the next verse. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils and flogged. About this time, Matthew stops writing. Huh? What, What do you mean, flogged? Yeah, yeah, be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils, and you will be flogged in the synagogues. Next verse. On, account, on my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. And maybe starts writing again because maybe he's going to be popular. Okay, maybe, maybe that first verse won't happen, so let me keep writing again. Verse 19. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. Wait a minute, Jesus. I'm not worried about what to say. I'm worried about the A word. What do you mean? When they arrest us. You see, the reason we came following you is because you made us popular. We followed you because you gave us a recognition. We followed you because you gave us like we're popular among all the people. What do you mean, Jesus, when we get arrested? When they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. Verse 20. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. At this point, I think their mouths are open. What what do you mean we're going to be arrested? What do you mean we're going to be flogged? That's not why we're following you. We're following you because we're consumers. And the reason we're dialed into your deal is because you make our deal even better. What do you mean, verse 21? Brother will betray brother to death, and a father, his child, and children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Oh my gosh, next verse. You will be hated by everyone because of me. Jesus, we're not hated by anybody. Jesus, remember, remember the story about the house and the people couldn't even get to you? The four guys are carrying their buddy on this on this cart and they take the roof off and let him down Jesus people can't get what do you mean we're going to be hated everybody loves us everybody thinks we're great Jesus we are your apostles and we are the most popular people in all of Judea what do you mean but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved next verse drop down to verse 28 and Jesus says this and Jesus says this same thing over and over and over again in different ways, but it's all the same theory. Jesus do not be afraid. And you'll notice that Jesus says, do not be afraid time and time again. And Jesus will say, do not worry. Do not be anxious. Do not be afraid. Do not be concerned. Do not worry. Jesus said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Next verse. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground to your father's care? Verse 30. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. That's easy for some of you. (laughs) So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many, many sparrows. Jesus Christ introduces something over and over again. Jesus Christ introduces that in spite of your circumstances, in the midst of your circumstances, I'm going to take you to a place. I'm going to take you to a place where nobody else can take you. I'm going to take you to a place that no matter how big your problems are, how deep your trench is, how many mountains and obstacles you have in your life, I'm taking you to a place where you can have rest and you can have trust and you can have incredible confidence in me. And this is what Jesus does. Jesus, will. here's some blanks if you want to fill these in in, in your bulletin, but he is driving you to faith that overcomes worry. This is exactly what Jesus does. He is driving you to a faith that's bigger than your problems. He is driving you to a faith that it's a place of rest in spite of your difficulties. You see, this is not Jesus' message. Look at the next verse. This is not his message. No need to worry because I won't let bad things happen to you. That is not Jesus's message. That's a false gospel. That's a gospel of somebody that's making up something that wants you to feel good all the time. You and I live in a fallen world. We live in a world where even though more Oklahoma's gotten blasted and hammered, they had another couple of tornadoes this last weekend and nine more people died. We live in a world of cancer. We live in a world where good people suffer and die. We live in a world where today on U.S. 19 probably somebody will get killed. Now, should you pray for protection? Absolutely. But God is so big and so large, I can't get my hands around why he answers some prayers and why he doesn't answer other prayers. But I've come to this conclusion. I don't want a God small enough that I can figure out. I can't figure him out. But that's not his message. This is his message. This next message is this. Do not worry what? When bad things happen. Jesus tells his disciples, You're going to be flogged on account of me, you're going to be arrested on account of me. We followed you as consumers. And if you continue to follow Jesus all the days of your life as what's in this for me, well, you're going to be saved. And you're going to get to go to heaven. And all of your sins are going to be forgiven. But your worry level and your stress level will continue to ratchet up day after day after day as life gets more busy and more difficult. Now, Jesus has an answer for us. Jesus has an answer that reduces our worry and it increases our faith in the midst of our circumstances and our difficulty. Here's what Jesus wants. wants. He wants faith that overwhelms worry. He wants you to have faith when things fall apart. He wants you to have great courage and confidence as the storms of life come and go in your life and the storms of God come and go in your life. If you don't have trouble today, you'll have trouble tomorrow. In fact, you could turn to your neighbor right now and say you have 100% chance of trouble in your life. And it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. He wants you to have a faith that overcomes worry. Now, how? How does that take place? Well, I want to take you now to one of the most familiar passages that that you know of. I didn't want to start there, but I want to land there. In Matthew chapter 6, it's known as the great sermon on the mount, and it's the most famous sermon that Jesus ever delivered. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, he says these words. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry. He has this whole long sermon. And then Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry. Don't worry about your life. And it gets very specific. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than these clothes? Verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the flowers, uh, I'm sorry, see how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor. They do not spin. Is this how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the, the fire? Will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And Jesus is saying, your faith as a consumer will always be puny. It will always be small. Oh, ye of little faith. Look at verse 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Now, I haven't told you how yet. All I've done is I've given you the wind up. I've not given you the pitch yet. How in the world does this happen? Let's keep going. Verse 32. And Jesus said, look, the pagans run after these things. The pagans are worried. The pagans are stressed out. The pagans are all the time concerned about, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Where are we going to go? Where are we going to work? What are we going to do? The pagans run after these things. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, you guys are my people. You're, You're not the pagans. I am involved in your life. And then look at what he says. And, I'm sorry, go back. I'm sorry, go back if you would. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. There we go. The pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. God knows what you need. Verse 33, let's go to the next verse, verse 33. Here's what he says. I gotta have verse 33. The whole sermon hinges on 33. (laughs) Thank you, I gotta have this one. This is a life or death verse right here, okay? We just call it quits. If I can't get verse 33, I'll, I'll, I got, that's why I always bring my Bible just in case the me- mechanics blows up. Here's the point. Here's the point. He says, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. Don't worry about your body. He said, don't, don't worry about all this stuff. Even the pa- the pagans are the ones. And Jesus is going, why are you worried like the pagans? The pagans do that because they have no God. They have no heavenly father who's going to take care of them. And here's the answer. Here's the secret. This moves you from consumer. This moves you from kingdom seeker. Here's what Jesus says. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And that word righteousness in this context means his righteous will. Seek first His kingdom and His righteous will, the stuff that goes along. Friends, here's what I'm trying to say. Leave that verse up there. God doesn't want you to come to him just so you can go to heaven. God isn't saying, "Will you please become a Christian so you can go to heaven? Will you please become a Christian so just go to heaven? Will you please become a Christian so I can make you a better man? Will you please become a Christian so I can make you a better woman? Will you please become a Christian so I can make you a better mom?" All that's true. But you can't find Jesus talking about that. What you will find Jesus talking about is seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first my kingdom. And in 116 different places, Jesus of Nazareth talks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. What does he want? What does Jesus want more than anything else? He wants you and he wants me to be a part of expanding the kingdom. We are kingdom seekers and we are kingdom expanders. Now, why is that radically different? Because when you are worried about your world and your life and consuming, then your worry is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. However, when you get to the place where you are a kingdom seeker and you are a kingdom expander, I live to expand the kingdom of God. I'm going to think about what the kingdom's about. I'm going to do what the kingdom's about. I'm going to care about the kingdom. When you do that, it's a life changer. See, because you're not worried. Because it's about the kingdom. It's not about you. When it's about you and you live as a consumer, stress, worry, higher, 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 deeper, deeper. Oh, my gosh. Help me, Jesus. I'm going to drown. But when it's about the kingdom, it's not about you. And so the king is asking you and me to seek first his kingdom. That's why John the Baptist comes on the scene. John the Baptist says, repent, change your mind, change your behavior. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's John saying? It's been 400 years of silence. It's back on. It's back on. The kingdom of God is back on. And when Jesus comes on the scene, Jesus says the same thing. Repent, change your mind, change your behavior. For the kingdom of God is at hand. And you look throughout the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is talking about you and me in the kingdom, you and me on the kingdom, you and me expanding the kingdom, you and me seeking the kingdom. So I just want to ask you, If it's all about you, and you become a Christian, and you get baptized, you're still going to heaven. But what if, what if, and I'm going to ask you to make this decision in about five or six more minutes. What if life's not about you, and you make a philosophical decision that in your life, life is going to be about the kingdom of God? What does that mean? What what does that look like? Well, in your own world. How do you expand the kingdom of God? In your own world, what does that look like? I think we underestimate what we can do in one week and in one year and in one lifetime. So how can you expand the kingdom of God? How can you be a kingdom expander? Well, first of all, you have to make up your mind that you're going to live every day for the kingdom. So what would the king do? Who would the king care about? Where would the king go? What kind of conversations would the king have? What would the king do in your context? Now, here's what he wouldn't do. The king would not quit your job, go on a mission field, whatever. That's cool. But the king's not asking you to quit your job. The king's probably not asking you to work less hours. The king's not saying you can't spend money on fun things. 1 Timothy says he gives us everything for our enjoyment. There's no big sign-up today. I'm not asking you today at the end of the message to go sign up and, for some service area. I'm asking you to get in line and make a decision about what the king wants you to do now that you're in the kingdom. And so you begin to think about, in my context, how do I expand the kingdom of God? So on a, on a weekly basis... In one week's time, who are the people you rub shoulders with? In, in one week's time, is it the bank, bank tellers? Are, are there waitresses and servers? Are, are there patients? Are there clients? Who are the people in one week's time that, that, that you run into? How can you invite people to church? Who can you pray for in one week's time? How many people can you pray? If you pray for the same three or four people for one week or for one year or for one lifetime, how can you in one week, 12 months, and the rest of your life expand the kingdom of God? You see, I don't have to figure that out for you, but you have to figure that out for yourself. This past week, um, Justin Price and I had lunch. He's our creative director, and we came in the, the, the lobby about one30 ish, and all of a sudden there was a couple of there were four people around the connect desk, and one of them was about a seventy six year old man and his friend, and I won't mention the guy's name, but um, I've invited him to church twelve times. I've invited him twelve times. I, I've known him now for eight years. I work out with him at the YMCA. He's as vile and anti-godly and anti-Christian as you'll ever meet. He and I have comfortable conversations as we're trying to, you know, stay healthy or whatever. And he's in our lobby this past Tuesday at 1.30, checking the church out. Now, he hadn't come in the church yet. He said to me, he said, Curtis he said, I'm not sure you're, the steel's strong enough to hold it up if I come in this, this worship center. And I've invited him 12 times. What can you do in one week what can you do in one year? What can you do in one lifetime? I think about money. And I think this is, we're not taking up an offering. The offering's already taken up. But just think about your weekly offering. And think about how much money that is in a year. And think about how much money in, in 50 years, in 50 years of you being a tither, how much kingdom expansion you've made. Tommy Earle is an elder at the church in Memphis. And um, Tommy's taught students and four-year-olds for over 20 years. And Tommy Earl um, was teaching him when he was four years old, teaching Ethan. And it was Father's Day weekend, and Tommy Earl asked these 20-some kids in the class, he said, "Uh, how many of your dads read the Bible? Out of about 20 kids, I think two of them raised their hand. And Tommy said, well, let me ask it again. How many of your dads, you know, like read the scriptures, read the Bible? And, and he's looking at right at Ethan. Ethan doesn't raise his hand. And, and Tommy said, you know, he said, Ethan, your dad's our pastor. Your dad reads the Bible. And Ethan said, no, my dad doesn't read the Bible. And, and Tommy couldn't wait to get out of class to tell me that story. Couldn't wait to tell me that story. And, and it dawned on Danita and I that he never saw me reading the Bible. I was reading the Bible early in the morning or reading the Bible at the office or late at night, but, but we, we changed that. We started reading the Bible over meals so our kids could see us, not to be hypocrites, but to help our kids see that we wanted them to be kingdom impactors and to impact the kingdom of God. Tommy Earle is the CEO of Barton Freightliner today. For the last 20 years, a CEO of Barton Freightliner has been teaching kids. What are you going to do with the rest of your life? Now, there's a decision I want you to make. I want you to look at this decision. From this day forward, I will follow Jesus Christ as a kingdom seeker. And I want you to be able to identify what does that mean for you, for your context, for your work environment, for your, for your family, for your church culture. What does that mean for you? And I, I really want you to fill that out. See, I'm not asking for a one-time decision. I'm asking for a philosophical decision about the course, the direction of your life. You don't find Jesus saying, come follow me, I'll make you a better person. He will. You don't find Jesus saying, come follow me, I'll make you a better man. He does. That's not what he's asking. He's saying, come follow me and seek first my kingdom. Expand my kingdom. Grow my kingdom. Do all the things in your context that you can do for me. And isn't he worth it? Isn't he worth it? Isn't he worthy? Isn't he honorable? I mean, this is Jesus. This is the son of God. So they're going to sing a song and while they sing, I'm going to ask you, maybe you want them just to be seated, just to just stay seated. I want to ask if you would just to fill this out or whatever you want them to do, stand up, sit down, whatever. But I want to ask you to fill this out and to make a decision. I'm going to, from this day forward, make a decision to be a kingdom uh, expander.